I just saw this this morning. Uh, it's a sister who was involved uh, in the Olympic tryouts uh, happening in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, I've, I've been to Eugene, Oregon. I've organized in Eugene, Oregon. And Eugene, Oregon is pretty white as, as, a, as a city. Uh, but this sister, uh, she, uh, I think, was in third place in the hammer throw. She, uh, at the podium, uh, where they, you know, uh, announcing and giving them their medals, et cetera. The sister turned her back uh, on the uh, pledge, uh, on the, the star, the, you know, that thing they played, that's the national anthem. And, uh, and she took a T-shirt and threw it over her face and what have you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and she said, like, she feels like it was a setup, that she was set up. Uh, because uh, she was told they were not going to do that. And, they, uh, and she felt like they did it to mess with her because they know that she protests all the time when they're doing the flag for her people. And she's lost sponsors uh, because of her stance as, a, as an African woman. We should know her name, uh, at least for the act that, uh, that she's taken right now. And, you know, I read that and I was so proud of the sister. And and just what it reflects in terms of a growing kind of a dissolution of this arrangement, this colonial arrangement, how uh, the, the colonizers are breaking free, you know, in various means. I mean, you see the evidence of, uh, of, the, of the, the loss of the grip that the system has on the brains of our people. You, you know, what we're looking at is that this ongoing cracks in the whole uh, ideologically that they hold on our people and the sister even losing, uh, cause she started to quit, even losing the sponsors who pay you the money to be a sellout, whatever she stood up and, and, and refused to do that. So I, I'm just so, uh, I'm just saying that it's a whole, uh, her name is Gwen Berry. Gwen Berry, remember her name, Gwen Berry, cause I thought it was such a, and send something to her, uh, saluting her because she needs to, to hear a salute coming from you revolutionaries as opposed to you know all the other you know forces who might say one thing or another so i just wanted to acknowledge gwen berry and and uh, not not just because she did that but because it represents a fracture growing fracture the fissures that's growing in this whole system that they've locked us into people are breaking out we are breaking out and the party is going to lead this process Uhuru. we're going to help gwen berry understand what she did Uhuru, the clip you just heard was Chairman O'Malley Eshetela's salute to U.S. Olympic hammer thrower Gwen Berry for her courageous political stance she has taken. Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. The United States track and field Olympic trials were held from June 18th to June 27th in Eugene, Oregon. The U.S. trials are the first step for U.S. athletes to compete in the Summer Olympic Games. This year's Olympic Games are shaping up to be historic on many levels. African women athletes have taken center stage in these trials, creating a buzz 
and sparking controversy in both colonial and social media. We know that our community is closely following this, and so we're excited to talk about it today. This year's Olympic Games are officially named the 2020 Summer Olympics and will be held in Tokyo, Japan from July 23rd to August 8th, 2021. The Summer Olympic Games were scheduled to take place in the summer of 2020, but were postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Since being resurrected in 1896, the modern Olympic Games had only been postponed or canceled three times in 1916, 1940, and 1944. In all three instances, imperialist world wars had caused postponement and cancellation, making 2020 the first time that something other than military contests caused the cancellation of the Olympic Games. As noted, the modern games were rebirthed in 1896. This was just a little more than 10 years after the Berlin Conference, subsequent to the British defeat of the Zulu in South Africa, the U.S. defeat of the Sioux Nation, the same year as the Plessy versus Ferguson decision in the United States, and the same year as the Ethiopian defeat of Italy in the Battle of Adwa, and right in the middle of the imperialist scramble for Africa. The Olympic Games have always been attached to military contests. 14 countries participated in the 1896 Summer Olympic Games, 13 European countries and the United States. Of course, the entire U.S. team was composed of white North Americans and no women competed in these games. In 1900, Constantine Enriquez de Zubiera, born in Haiti, became the first African to compete in the modern Olympics as a part of the French rugby team. Following his team's victory, he became the first African to win a medal in the Olympics. The Olympic Games are deeply embedded with the history of imperialism, colonialism, and even struggles for self-determination and national liberation. Most people are familiar with the Black Power salute of Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Many do not know that the Black Power salutes were part of a much larger internationalist protest by African athletes in the U.S. in solidarity with anti-colonial struggle across the world, of which the international Black Revolution of the 1960s was an integral part. Much like Colin Kaepernick's knee, the salutes were in fact a compromise to a complete boycott that was originally planned. Since the days of Enriquez de Zubiera, a deep colonial contradiction has occurred with the Summer Olympics imperialist countries have found success because of their colonial subjects. Africans have always recognized this contradiction. Jesse Owens to Wilma Rudolph to John Carlos and Tommy Smith to Edwin Moses, and the list goes on. Africans have known that their performance in the summer games are connected to African struggles off the field. This year's games proved to be no different. The International Olympic Committee has placed a ban on political statements and barred the uses of terms like Black Lives Matter on Olympic apparel. Africans have already begun to protest these positions. At the Olympic trials, sprinters Shakari Richardson and hammer thrower Gwen Berry have made significant political statements in their performances and protests. Slanderous comments about Richardson's sexuality and gender have been made. Many critics have disproved of the record-setting sprinters' hair, tattoos, and body piercings. 
Barry, who has been an outspoken critic of anti-African violence, publicly protested the U.S. national anthem at the Olympic trials. We will discuss this and more on this episode of the People's War radio show. Today, we are joined by three track and field athletes. Our first guest is Kundai Bajiki Kai. Kundai is the membership coordinator for the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project. She is also a former track and field coach and standout collegiate runner. Kundai is joined by James Boomer Harris and coach Chuck Ryan. Boomer was an All-American sprinter for Florida State University and now competes professionally. Coach Ryan works at the University of California, Berkeley, and was an All-American runner at the University of South Carolina. Welcome to the show, everyone. So, Coach Ryan, you attended this summer's Olympic trials. Before we get into the deeper side of things, please tell us how things went. What were some highlights of the trials? Oh, wow. Um, this was arguably, <clears throat> and in my opinion, it's really not close, the uh, the best Olympic trials our nation has ever seen. To, to put it into the best context I can, at this year's Olympic trials, you had two world records set, two world U-20 records set, three world U-18 records set, five American records, 20 U-20, uh, four American U-20 records, and 22 Olympic trials meet records. Across the board, the, the athletes did an absolutely phenomenal job and coaches. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about that. And, you know, I think you say arguably because, you know, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's some in many ways, it's not even arguable. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I've, in, in, in so many different aspects, uh, I saw just record setting performances. And the thing that really stand out to me is the way through which the older generation of track and field athletes were there to support the younger generation of track and field athletes in the accomplishments uh, that um, they uh, uh, were making. You know, I saw uh, the one sister uh, with the shot put uh, being supported by uh, the other sister, uh, I forget her name, Carter, um, uh, uh, in the stands as she broke her record, right? You know, so so, yeah, it's something that, like I said, I mean, we talked about this, but there's something about, you know, the African community that really the African community, like track and field, we we on that, you know, and yeah, that's uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah you're always going to have um, our sport is no different than any others. Right. You're going to have generational people. Like for a lot of people, the 1968 Olympic team is considered the best team that we've ever founded, right? Mm -hmm. And in its context, that's probably accurate. You have to wait and see how the results play out before you can have those discussions. But as far as the trials and in the context of how people are performing relative to their competitors around the world, relative to what we we've seen in history, this year's performances are just off the charts, and so. Yeah. You know, we'll see how it all plays out at the Olympics, but we, we really couldn't have founded a better team than we did. Right, right. And like you said, a 68, 88, you know, uh, this. So so this is saying, uh, you know, there was some dynamic stuff taking place almost to the extent that, you know, uh, yeah, it was some dynamic stuff. So uh, how do athletes that you work with or, you know, do at the trials? Well, 
the athletics community is really, really small, right? So you know everybody, um, your your colleagues, and and have some kind of connection to almost everybody at the games, right? So some some people I went to school with, some coaches, in, in, you know, I'm, I just I just turned forty this year, so there are literally athletes who I competed against that are still running. There are coaches who coached me still coaching, and then there's the younger generation that that's up and coming and rewriting a lot of record books. So um, personally, I only had one athlete um, directly that I work with competing at, the, at this, this year's trials, and that was Tiana Bartoletta, um, who um, did not make the team in the 100 or the long jump. She is the reigning defending uh, Olympic champion in the long jump and at, at 35 years old. And, you know, she went out there, she took her shot. Um, it wasn't enough, but, you know, we'll be back. Boomer, how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted training for you? or other athletes that you work with. How have you worked to overturn the challenges that the pandemic has brought? Man, uh, for me, the pandemic, um, it was good and bad. Uh, in 2000 and so 2017 season, I was dealing with injury most of the season. And so, you know, it took me, and it was a back injury. So it was, you know, an extended rehab process. And um, it took me literally two years to get back to where I could actually train full time. And so when 2020 rolled around, I'm, you know, back in the saddle and I'm really excited for the trials. And then, of course, the pandemic uh, happens. So, you know, from someone who had spent so much to get back healthy, uh, I was really looking forward to getting back on the circuit uh, and making money on the track. But, you know, the pandemic, you know, said otherwise and for me the you know the toughest aspect of it was the the mental uh the mental hurdles that I came in contact with you know you know I've literally been running track for the last 15 years of my life and you know it was hard enough dealing with injury let alone you know literally not being able to do track you know the whole world wasn't able to do it at the time and I had you know kids that I trained you know ones who were I had you know, one of the girls, and she ended up getting her scholarship, but, you know, she was right on the cusp of being able to sign with the SEC or ACC school, you know, pending the time she was going to drop her senior year, but she didn't get her senior season to compete, you know. So it was tough for a lot of senior athletes. I had one kid, you know, who was coming off of injuries his junior year and had, you know, dropped some really good time right at the beginning of the senior season, but technically didn't have enough time to, to tell people, hey, you know, you should give me a scholarship, you know. So it was it was tough for us in that aspect, but uh, you know everything works itself out, and uh, you know even now just seeing people thrive at the trials, and you know seeing you know my next class you know sign signing scholarships, uh, it's been you know a breath of fresh air, and you know for me being able to get back on the track, you know it's been truly a blessing. So you know it was tough, but now you know everything's coming back into full circle and fruition. So I'm even more looking forward to next season. Uhuru, um, Coach Ryan, what about you? What James said is very apropos. Um, from a mental health standpoint, <clears throat> the pandemic has wreaked havoc on athletes, coaches alike, and most definitely on the younger kids, the high school athletes. Definitely uh, a lot of lost opportunities, you know, to present themselves in the best you know possible light athletically to to advance their careers and, and get the scholarships that they may have envisioned and dreamed for themselves. 
and and just globally the pandemic's been horrible for everybody but from an from an athletic perspective um there's a case to be made that a lot of people benefited from the time off uh the performances at this year's NCAA championships and the, and the Olympic trials are 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 a testament to that and for every it, it cuts both ways um two two very distinct stories um, from just this past weekend, um, Donovan Brazier. Donovan Brazier is the best 800-meter runner in the world. He has been the best 800-meter runner in the world for years. Last year, he was in the shape of his life, and the pandemic hit, and he didn't get an opportunity to make the team. This year, apparently, he suffered some injuries and came into the trials as the number one favorite and finished last in the final and didn't make the team. So. In that specific example, the, the, literally the timing of the pandemic kept this man off the Olympic team. And that's, you know, potentially millions of dollars. Um, on the flip side of that, um, Tiana Bartoletta literally almost died in 2012, in 2020 from health complications. There was no way she was going to be in a position to even take an opportunity to defend her crown had the Olympics gone off in 2020. The pandemic gave her time to have her surgeries, gave her time for her body to heal, and gave her time to return to being a world-class sprinter and taking an attempt at defending her long jump title. So, you know, the the timing of all things, it just kind of works its out, itself out the way that it is. And, and there's there's people that benefited from it and there's people that have been victimized for it. But that's that's the nature of sport, right? And that's, you know, things that are beyond our control. And as coaches, you, you got to work with what's in front of you. As athletes, you you got to you know find a, a path through if you can. And so, you know, the pandemic has definitely been rough. But I, I think the biggest the biggest havoc that it's created for everybody is is the is the mental health and and the waiting and the the limbo that so many so many people's careers and futures have been in because everything's been on hold. And so there, there's a lot of great stories out there about perseverance and and the people that have found their way through it, but, but there's a lot of victims by the wayside too. And so, you know, I I feel, I feel all of it and I've experienced all of it. Right, right, right. Um, Kundai, what about you? Um, well, um, right before the pandemic, I just started coaching club again. And in terms of like the next recruiting class that I had lined up, um, before I left Alabama A&M, I know it was really difficult on some of those kids, um, kind of similar to what Coach Ryan was saying about kind of missing certain opportunities to prove themselves. <clears throat> and for other people that, you know, ran some times early on, you know, were, you know, kind of fortunate enough to have done that and not have to really worry about certain other things or worry about maybe other competitors that, you know, looked more promising later on in the season. So, yeah, I think like the anxiety and the 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 fear of not knowing about like other people and not knowing what you're going to be capable of once you finally get back on the track is, you know, was a thing that a lot of our athletes um, went through. But just like everything else, there's always something being thrown at you. You know, I'm sure like in all sports, you know, but spe- specifically in track and field and just as coaches, it's just our job to prepare them as much as possible for whatever it is, you know. Right now it's COVID and other, you know, different um, qualifying rules and things like that. And 
I mean, any other time in, in conferences or any type of qualifying meet is, you know, there's always different rules or different things in question. And you just have to, you know, pr- uh, prepare your athletes' bodies for it. So I guess that's, you know, I guess how I've experienced COVID, COVID impacting um, track and field. Uhuru, thank you. Um, did you have something to say? Did you have something to add to that, Boomer? Yeah, I think uh, something else that I was, you know, mentally trying to process because, you know, I turned 30 this year. But I know I look at, you know, we have a lot of really good athletes, you know, like, you know, Chuck was telling us about Tiana, you know, um, she's in her mid-30s and we have a, a lot of really good people in their mid-30s. So at that point in your track and field career, it's all about, you know, what can I produce as the clock still ticks? You know, a year is a lot for athletes. So, you know, losing that year, I feel that was, uh, you know, a big determining factor for a lot of people who hung up their spikes. And, um, you know, it made me literally prepare the James Harris Fat World Track and Field Tour <laughs> in my head. So uh, I think, you know, talking to some older people, uh, I, I don't like to call them all, they're literally a few years older than me. But, you know, in the sport, you know, you know, you're up in age, you know, that was really, uh, I think. It made a lot of people feel, you know, helpless because, you know, you can't do nothing about a global pandemic. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, I'm, we go make track and field happen. Uh, you know, that just wasn't the case. And, uh, so it, I feel like it forced a lot of people into retirement who were really ready to, you know, give it another shot, you know, as far as the trials and everything. So, yeah, that's very mentally taxing when it comes to something you've been doing your whole life. Uh, James is absolutely 100% right about that. What you got to understand is, you know, this isn't football, basketball, baseball. There, there's no guaranteed contracts. There's no absolute money. Um, professional athletics is literally the Hunger Games and the, the shoe companies that fund it and the the way the the business operates as a professional model is literally the most brutal of any professional endeavor in sport. And so James is right. One year could literally end somebody's career because if your contract if your if your sponsorship is up and they don't see value in you moving forward, you ain't getting that back. And that's and from their perspective that's okay because there's a 19, 20, 21 year old person around the corner, they rather give your money too. So, I mean, that's, again, that's the reality of the business that we are in. And, and it's absolutely cold blooded, but he is 100% right about that. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. And thanks for your honesty on uh, the brutal nature of professional track and field. As you know, there's no guaranteed money. And as you know, it's literally the Hunger Games. So, Kundai, ever since Shikari Richardson literally burst onto the scene of track and field, she has garnered a lot of press. In her talents and expression, she has received a lot of comparison to the late Florence Griffith Joyner and Gail Debers. But as others have noted, she's 100% Shikari. What has Shikari's presence meant to African women and African people in track and field? Um, I think for... A lot of young uh, black women or black girls in um, track and field. In a lot of ways, I think she, like Shakira kind of represents the class. Um, 
kind of yeah yeah I think she, yeah she, I think she she represents a class in a certain type of way where you can feel confident in just being whoever you are and I think um uh I don't know I don't know what the <laughs> okay so my my experience again at at Alabama State the loud hair the nails the eyelashes the everything like it was it was there so um so for some of us, seeing that kind of thing is not necessarily anything new. But uh, I think more than anything, it's just how she carries herself. It's her confidence. And I think it kind of, um, I mean, I hope it, it instills confidence in, in other girls. But at the end of the day, I don't know. And maybe other people see it differently. But for me, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's her times. And again, how she how she kind of like announces herself on the track that that stand out because I mean you got a lot of people that step out on the track that physically may be loud but you know the times may not be there. The Olympic Games were halted by the COVID-19 pandemic but this has only delayed the protest of black track and field athletes not muted them. Black track and field athletes have joined other African athletes in protest in recent years. In 2019 Gwen Berry won the gold medal for the hammer throw at the Pan American Games. During the playing of the national anthem, Barry raised her fist in protest against the continued injustice in the U.S. and quote, a president who's making it worse, unquote. Barry was later quoted saying, I am here to represent those who died due to systemic racism. Barry's actions forced the U.S. Olympic Committee to create a rule change in support of peaceful protest. However, The International Olympic Committee placed Barry on a 12-month probation and prohibited her from protesting for a year. She has reportedly lost $50,000 in sponsorship money. After meddling in the U.S. trials this June, Barry turned her back in protest to the national anthem. Kundain, what do you think of this recent action by Gwen Barry? Yeah, I, I support things like this. I think it's something important that not just athletes, but people in general that have a, a, a platform, you know, should use that to raise awareness or bring support around, a, you know, a particular cause, especially something around our people. And um, me personally, I don't see anything wrong with not standing or respecting a, a national or an anthem to a nation that continues to oppress black people while we're regularly raised up in athletics, but anything outside of that, it's like you're not allowed to have a political opinion because, yeah, because you're on a certain type of platform or because you're an athlete or anything like that or things like that. Um, so I think it's a commendable stance because I think generally it's kind of when you do something like that at a meet, it's, you know, eyes are on you and it's, and you don't know how people will respond to it or your sponsors or things like that. So um, I think it's, it's a, in my opinion, is a commendable stance for a black woman um, in Olympic trials to, you know, take this type of content, continue to take this type of position. Uhuru, Coach Ryan, how have you seen African athletes respond to the recent upsurge in political activity over the years? Uh, This is such a complicated issue. Um, What I've seen, if if you want me to be 100 percent honest about it, what I've seen is a lot of fake activism and a lot of fake outrage. That is not to say that that applies to Gwen Berry. Gwen Berry is very real in her stances and, and believes in these issues wholeheartedly. And I respect and applaud 
her willingness to stand in the ring and take the punches that she's taking for her for her political stances. But in today's society, people prefer their activism to be on social media and not really put themselves in the ring. Long gone are the days of Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Muhammad Ali. A lot of people say they're for these issues, but they're not really willing to put their own careers, their own money, their own whatever on the line. Case in point, the USOC, the U.S. Olympic Committee, garners money based on the performances of athletes in the Olympics, the majority of which, the majority of the medals won are won by Black athletes. Yet the athletes don't get any direct ties to this money. So Black athletes are are funding almost the entire operation of the USOC. And so throughout the past couple months, the USOC took a very intelligent stance, which was the USOC is not going to stand in the way or stand against anybody in the protest space. Now, the international, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee came out and specifically not only said, are you not going to protest? They took it a step further and they, they called it racial propaganda, as if saying Black Lives Matter on a T-shirt or raising a fist is somehow akin to a Nazi salute, a ridiculous point of view. However, if the, if the Black athletes that just qualified for the U.S. Olympic team really cared about this stance more than they did their own endeavors, they would just sit out. And if they sat out, <clears throat> that would garner the real attention because don't get it twisted, there is no Olympics without the American Black athletes. So everybody says that they're for social justice. Everybody says that they're really about you know, fighting for these causes. But to me, your level of fight is determined by what you're willing to risk for it. Gwen Berry doesn't fall into that category. Gwen Berry is real and she's taken a lot of heat. She It has cost her money. She has lost opportunities. And so, you know, I appreciate her and, and the stance that she takes. And I, and I hope to see her on the podium in Tokyo. Ohuru, Ohuru. Um, Boomer, what what about you? What what have you noticed? You know, I agree with Chuck. Like, you know, it's more than that photo op because, you know, is you know, everybody's angry at the beginning and then okay, we're angry, let's get together and be angry and let's march and let's let's um, you know, tell them how upset we are. But three weeks after that, are you still upset? Two months later, you know, are you still as passionate about it when, you know, the police did what they did, or you know, the governor signed that voting law that was basically set up against your people or your demographic. You know, are you still upset two, three months, four, like half a year later, uh, or does it just fizzle? You know, because that that's what they want to do. They they understand we'll be upset at the beginning, and as as athletes, uh, you know, I think track and field, you know, people will see what we do, but I feel like the big three football, basketball, and baseball have an even bigger obligation. Uh, like Chuck said, the IOC literally said, you better not, in, in layman's terms, you better not protest. If you do, 
we're gonna we're gonna get you about it. Like you're gonna be in trouble. We're gonna find you. We're gonna we're gonna sit you down. Um, and what does that tell my daughter? I have a nine year old daughter. What what does that tell her when I sit here and tell her like you have to carry yourself a certain way? Um, because of the way you look, literally, because of the color of your skin. But you know, when they when the lights are on, you better get out there and tap for them. You better dance for them. You better you know do what they want you to do, or they're gonna get upset. And, you know, I personally didn't even compete this year. I can't go tell my homies that made the Olympic team, hey, man, y'all should, y'all should uh, boycott. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that sounds, ah, uh, you know, you wouldn't even dare to try to make the team, but you want me to miss out on my opportunity. So I understand, like, you know, nobody's making millions and millions of dollars when it comes to track and field. Uh, and- but, you know, how much is your life worth? How much is your soul worth? How much, you know, do you care about the world that your your kids are going to eventually be living in? You know, you got to think about the greater good. You got to think about, you know, the fact that all this, like I said earlier, is recurring. And the fact that as a people, you know, we always yell like, oh, we're going to overcome, like we're going to fight this, but we've been fighting it for hundreds and thousands of years. So, I mean, is is it's going to take more than us to, to, to fix this. Right. Right. And let me, let me be, let me be clear about my personal view of what I'm saying. Okay. Well, I just want to let y'all know that our timing is kind of crazy right now. So I want to go ahead and move forward um, with this, with the interview and, and the way the questions are set up, I think some of the stuff that you guys have to say, comes out in the other questions. Gotcha. Um, so we're going to go ahead and move forward. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Kundai, Bajiki Kai, James Boomer Harris, and Coach Chuck Ryan. As some people know, I'm related to some prominent figures in the world of track and field. My uncle is Bob Kersey, the husband and coach of my aunt, Jackie Joyner Kersey. My aunt is the sister of Al Joyner, who was a gold medalist in the 1984 Olympic Games, and the sister-in-law of the late Florence Griffith Joyner, Flo Jo. My uncle has coached Gail Devers, Jeanette Bolden, Valerie Briscoe-Hooks, Greg Foster, Andre Phillips, and Allison Felix, just to name a few. I've personally seen some of the slander that my aunties continue to endure about their body and their image. Following their success in the 1988 games, Monty Jackie was compared to an ape, and Flojo was described as looking like a man. This is why I was happy when my auntie came to the defense of Castor Semenya of South Africa. Kundai, what sort of struggles have African people, particularly African women, endured in track and field? Considering the slanderous attacks against Shikari, what ways do you see these struggles of Black athletes continuing in track and field today? Oh, well, just my personal experience in track and field and even, you know, things that I hear today is always around, like, um, our bodies uh, and in the track world, it's you know it's it's normal. It's not really anything, but I, I think it's a lot of people like outside outside of athletics that you know criticize you know how our bodies 
um, you know, are shaped, you know, can be compared to men looking like men or um, too much of this or too much of that, not enough of this or not enough of that. Um, but I mean, your body just conforms to your, you know, your regimen, your practice regimen, your, your, um, your nutrition. And it's just a, a part of the sport. And I'm sure just any woman could, could, you know, could share that same experience, but it's, you know, African or black women that, you know, that we see a lot out front, obviously in track and field, um, and particularly in the sprints, you know, where there's the, like the slander against, you know, the body and things like that. Even people like, you know, women like Carmelita Jetter. And and I think it, it, it plays like on our mental because then when you leave track and field or when you're not competing anymore and you still your physique is, you know, a certain way, you might feel still feel like um, you don't fit the general standards of society in terms of what your body is supposed to look like as a woman. And, you know, I think in general, there's a certain image that a black woman in particular is supposed to have, you know, um, in terms of her body and, you know, just the, just the daily uh, pressures or, or insecurities that you feel from that, you know, can cause women, you know, to get um, to modify their body or things like that. Um, which is if, and if that's what you want to do, it's not necessarily an issue. I'm not knocking women that do that. One of my favorite athletes, Carmelita Jeter, you know, is one of those. And, um, but I think it's just, um, not feeling accepted in society because of how your, um, or not your, your physical appearance, not being accepted in society. Um, and, and, and the pressures of how you look and your physique and track and feel is, is, is big. And it's something that like myself and a lot of our teammates, you know, in the, um, you know, in the darkest hour kind of, you know, would, would talk about. And it's something that's um, sometimes it's not a, 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 a easy pill to swallow. And for some people, some women, you know, can just let it roll off their back. But I think a lot of people kind of internalize that in, in a, a lot of women, black women, internalize the slander or the the comments and negative comments about our body in a, um, you know, internalize it in, 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 in the worst way, really. Uhuru, uhuru, thank you. Um, Boomer. In the past, you've competed for the United States Olympic team. You are also very outspoken for social justice issues as it relates to Black people. What are some obstacles that you faced? I was born and raised in Alabama. Um, So, you know, at a young age, I literally, you know, well, okay. Background was raised in the Baptist church. And like when, when I say I was raised in the Baptist church, like I was the... Um, grandson of the head deacon, uh, grandmother, you know, head of the, you know, matron. So, you know, we actually did, you know, social injustice programs. Like literally I had family members that marched alongside of, you know, Dr. King. Uh, they have a different kind of attitude about them, a, a different, you know, pep in their step because they've lived through, you know, injustice, old injustice and the new injustice because, you know, it really didn't go anywhere. It just changed. They just changed the way it happens. So, you know, I was raised to always speak up. I was raised to never allow anyone um, to treat you less than what, you know, what you are and what God made you to be. So um, I was always seen as country and, and, and outspoken because you know, if I if I saw something that was out of place, I spoke up about it. If I felt like someone 
was, you know, profiling me because of the way I look. I spoke up about it. Um, so that has, you know, I I can say, I shouldn't say lost lost me some friends because, you know, you really wanted my friend of, you know, me speaking up about what's right and what's wrong bother you. Um, but it has, you know, deemed me, you know, people will tell me, well, you're not going to attract certain people to help you in, on your journey because they really want you to just look good, compete good, and, you know, just be a good representative for them. And I didn't want those deals. I didn't want those you know, people on my team because uh, at the end of the day, I got to be able to live with, you know, the person that I became. And, you know, I like I said, I have, I have a daughter that I'm raising and I never want her to, you know, sell her soul for a few dollars. And um, I want her to be happy with every, you know, happy with the decisions she make and happy how, you know, who she chooses to, uh, how she chooses to represent herself. And most of all, how I presented myself to the world, you know, I don't want her to be ashamed of because I chose to just sit there and tap my feet to the beat of someone's drum who didn't really care about me and my identity as a black man. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Kundai Bajiki Kai, James Boomer Harris, and Coach Chuck Ryan. So, you kind of talked about this a little bit already, Kundai. As we've noted, colonialism, imperialism, and national identity, what some people call race, are deeply embedded into the history of track and field and the Olympic Games. The political significance and colonial capitalist contradictions of track and field and the Olympics will not go away until colonial capitalism is overturned. Kundai, now you work with the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project, whose mission is to get skilled Africans to apply those skills to liberation for to the liberation of African people worldwide and the development of the African nation. So I'll ask you this, because we know that Mm -hmm. the vast majority of athletes uh, will not go pro, even very, very good ones. So what skills would you like to see track and field athletes give back to the community? So, you know, my department is, is, is ABDEP. So shout out to ABDEP. Um, but I think, you know, even if it's, if it's not ABDEP, like anybody can, can use whatever skill that they have to like push this thing, push this struggle of, of black liberation forward. And, um, obviously in, in, in my particular department, we, you know, like to grab those Africans with healthcare, agriculture, and um, education, right now, particularly youth education, you know, experience or background or interest, um, and into into our nonprofit. Um, however, those in, in in track and field, I think a lot in general, just like athletes, collegiate athletes, you know, kind of have this uh, drive and competitiveness that, um, and the work ethic that um, that a lot of other people may struggle with. And so I think just having the work ethic and, and knowing um, how important it is to be consistent in something is is enough in itself. And if you're willing to learn something, I mean, in app, we got a place for anybody in app depth. So anybody, I'm going to say it's not anybody that's listening that wants to participate in app depth, but you don't think you have skills in education, healthcare, agriculture, we got a place for you in app depth for sure. But just in general, in this movement, in the Black Liberation Movement, 
Um, you know, if you have a platform or, if, or any skills that you have can be used. Um, and, and I don't think people should limit themselves to say like, oh, I don't know this. or I don't know that. Or, I don't have skills in this area, that area. I'm, a, I'm you know, I'm an athlete because, you know, you go to school and you obtain these um, <clears throat> uh, degrees. And so, you know, you can use there's always ways that they can be used for the for the struggle. There was something that I read and I can't remember where I read it at, but it said that um, uh, artists, artists have the responsibility of making revolution irresistible. And, you know, artists being, you know, artwork, musicians, all these type of things. Right. And I see the same thing, I think, in 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 entertainment or in athletics, you know, while your particular skill may be running or it could be singing or whatever it is, but it has to be where you know, it, you, yeah, that you make the struggle for revolution irresistible. You make it attractive and you might not be the one leading a meeting around how to create uh healthcare programs for the poor working class African community, but you win other people that might not necessarily be interested in that into becoming a part of that. You know, you make it something that's not like shunned upon, but something that's, yeah, that's, that's irresistible. And I think people, like I said, with certain platforms, as black people have that responsibility to make the struggle for black liberation irresistible and 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 give people the confidence that we can do this thing and we, we have to do this thing if we want to see something different. You know, so I think that's I, I really I really yeah. need to add that's something to that, because what Brandy said is is uh, I'm sorry, what Kundai said is well, is a point well taken. But there's a flip side to that. And it's it's the fact that we as a community very rarely move in unison. And we as a community, just like the media, we pick our stars. Okay, we handpick and decide who's relevant. And so, for example, we talked about Shakari, and Shakari is phenomenal and deserves all her praise. But you know who else is extreme is just as phenomenal? Gabby Thomas. Gabby Thomas has a neurobiology degree from Harvard, is currently working on her graduate degree, master's in in epidemiology. And she just broke Allison Felix's Olympic trials record and is now the number two performer all time in the 200 meter dash behind only Flojo. And she doesn't get nearly the attention or the praise or the shine as a Shakari Richardson does from our community. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Because Gabby Thomas is black excellence personified on and off the track. And so if you're thinking about who's most likely to have a huge impact on our community 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, it's it's the Gabby Thomases of the world. So if our community did more to push those kind of narratives and focus more on those kind of athletes, those kind of athletes might be more inclined to use their platform to support things that they're being supported by from the community. And it, so it cuts both ways. A lot of this, you know, we, we can push better ourselves. Now this is going to open up for the discussion to kind of go a little bit longer. And, and, and I know we were just talking about the time and I unite to, I agree like to a certain extent um, because um yeah, like Gabby Thomas, she doesn't get the same type of recognition or attention, anyways, attention um, that like that Shakira Richardson does. 
Um, but we also, you know, our this, the thing about our people is and, and being an oppressed, uh, the oppressed population really just mimics what they hear in the media, you know, and we don't control like mainstream media, which raises another thing of why I think it's so important that we push our own media and not like um, middle-class black petty bourgeoisie media, but real working class media that, um, yeah, that can, that, 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 that has an interest in raising up like Gabby Thomas and recognizing that, you know, a sister like that in science should be recruited into something in our, in our nonprofit, like AppDev, where, you know, we harness the skills from, uh, physicists, um, all type of doctors, nurses, midwives, doulas, you know, all those skilled scientists, um, into this type of organization for the, in return for the community to benefit from it. Um, but again, if we don't control the media, the people aren't going to know that. Africans are showing support because they see people attacking her. You know, uh, I mean, same thing, you know, the guy role or whatever got the road scholarship. People say, how come people don't talk about him? And how are we going to talk about this person? How are we going to talk about that person? You know, well, uh, um, you know, we got to create our own institutions through which we can uh, lift up our own institutions of higher education and people and media so that uh, all African people can excel, not just a small amount. Africans don't necessarily see going to Harvard as uh as just excellence you know uh, uh but 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 nevertheless i i do think that uh, uh the general person following the sport who uh just uh follows it you know every few years you know uh they see people being attacked uh, they identify with the people being attacked coach Ryan and Boomer what should we be on the lookout for in the future of black athletes in track and field what are some final thoughts that you want to share with us I hit that first. Um, when it comes to us, uh, you should only expect excellence, man. Uh, when it comes to athletics, you know, we we do hold that pedestal, uh, the top of that pedestal. We do carry that on our shoulders. Um, so, I mean, we're going to keep dropping times. We're going to keep, you know, giving the world the numbers that are going to wow it every time we step out there. Um and, you know, but with that, I think as the athlete, uh, as being an athlete, we have to be careful to, you know, and reinforce to the world that we're more than that, just that athlete. Um, you want to go do like, you know, athlete is going to be such a temporary part of your life because you're going to have a whole lot of living to do afterwards. The one of the worst things you could you could do to yourself is only prepare your life for a life of athletics. Uh, you're going to have to transition. Um and, you know, for the people who are fans, for the people who watch on, you should remember also that, you know, athletics is only a temporary part of our life. And, you know, we have other goals, dreams and aspirations. And if you're an athlete listening and, and you don't have other goals, dreams and aspirations, you should you should find some. Um, I personally, I'll, why are you going to you going to see my name etched in the record books for us athletics? You're going to see my name. You know, I'm I'm claiming that I'm gonna produce a, a a Grammy record one day. I'm gonna have my own agency one day. I'm gonna have my own studio one day, and I'm gonna love that. And I'm gonna, and I get excited thinking about that just as much as I do as I think about how good of a season I'm gonna have next year. So um, I always remember, you know, you have one life to live, but you have many seasons in that life to live. Prepare yourself for all of them.
Um, you you should take every opportunity and make the most out of it. Uh, and for all my scholarship athletes, I don't care if you own the if you got a scholarship of playing checkers, um, get the most out of that university or that institution because they're gonna get all they can out of you. There's nothing like free money. Enjoy the process. It's it's you know it's a, it's a short season. Four years goes by really fast. Uh, make the most of it, most out of it, and I'll you know keep pushing. You know, and never lose your identity to follow anybody else's uh you know agenda. You know, you're gonna be black to the day you die, and make the most of it. That that is a. Uh... Very well said, sir. What what can we expect moving forward? Um, <laughs> athletics, and that's you'll always hear me refer to track and field as athletics because that's truly what its name is. Athletics, what we do, our sport, we are the foundation of all sport. We run, we jump, we throw. So any sport that you're a fan of, Understand that our sport birthed your favorite endeavor. And what I expect athletically is that you will continue to see our athletes set the bars for performance. And what I hope comes from that is that our fan base or our supposed fan base takes the time to really get at and pay attention to the things that these athletes are doing off the track that are so more valuable to the culture. James was a phenomenal high jumper, is a phenomenal high jumper, but his impact on the world is going to be far and beyond a high jump mat. Darrell Hill is a chef. Gabby Thomas is a doctor. Tiana Bartoletta just wrote a book, Survive in Advance, that is a lot, that is about a lot more than track and field. Our narratives and our storylines are so much more compelling than people ever care to find out. And so since you're going to be sitting around watching the Olympics, since you're going to be sitting around in awe of the athletic gifts and prowess of these people, do a little digging and find out who they really are and what they really have going on, because their impact to the world, their impact to the culture is not found in between some lanes or in a pit or in a shot put sector. They are incredible people, incredible athletes, and their skills go far beyond the track. And so for those who have projects outside of it, it's up to us as a culture to know about them, highlight them, push them into the spotlight so they don't get painted into the corner of just another athlete because every four years, there's going to be more of these athletes. And that's my hope. And that's my goal. And that's why I continue to do what I do. That's why I spend my time working in, in the fields of athletics, but through education. Because our students that I recruit to come run for me at, at, at UC Berkeley, they might run fast, but that's a 40-year investment. It ain't got nothing to do with how fast they run for four years. It's about the long-term goal. And so I hope our culture recognizes that and does something about it. Uhuru, thank you. Thank you so much. You were listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today 
Rukundai, Bajiki Kai, James Boomer Harris, and Coach Chuck Ryan. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.